At the beginning of this year, we felt as a leadership that what God was inviting us into as a church is encapsulated by this word ignite. That we can so easily go through the routine of church life and ministry without really kindling that fire within us, right? And it is so easy to kind of do that and lose out on the real goal of our faith. And that is what's really been happening here this morning. Just the beautiful, wonderful presence of God who is with us, Emmanuel. The presence of Jesus by His Holy Spirit. And while I cannot force God to ignite something fresh within us, we as a church can position ourselves so that we come before Him with faith. We come before Him with His Word on our hearts. We ask Him full of faith. And for that reason, our recent preaching series was called Restored. Why? Because when we look at the Scriptures, we see that Jesus didn't encounter us in our strength, but in our weaknesses. Because He wants to restore us in the broken place. And He wants to meet our most precious needs over there and then build us up from there. And so many of us have experienced a time of restoration with the Lord. And as I said a couple of weeks ago, just because the Restored series is over doesn't mean that the restoring work of Jesus is over. And so if you are with us for that series, please continue in faith coming before the Lord, revealing yourself to Him, inviting Him into those dark and uncomfortable places because that is where you need Him most. And may the restoring work of God continue to bless you. But if I put all of this together, what are we asking for? We're asking for a renewed sense of God's work and presence among us. And if we had to say, well, how does the Scriptures describe the presence of God well, the overwhelming way that the Scriptures describe the presence of God for those of us who were not there 2,000 years ago walking with Jesus is God's Holy Spirit. And so we're starting this new series called Unstoppable, which is a series on God's Holy Spirit. And I pray that we do experience the unstoppable work and love and power of God's presence and His spirits. But now I know that when we talk about something like the Holy Spirit, almost none of us are coming with a blank slate. Some of us are, we hear the Holy Spirit, and oh, that's my favorite subject. We're in, we're the convinced, we're the early adopters, we're there, we're prepared. Some of us sitting here, as I've often just tried to, to remind us, we've seen some things, we've experienced some weird things, maybe we've experienced some spiritual abuse in the name of the Holy Spirit and so we hear about the Spirit and we're filled not with eagerness but maybe some trepidation, some fear, some caution. Some of us maybe we just whether we're brand new in the faith or we've come from backgrounds that maybe don't speak much about the Holy Spirit, we're like I've heard a lot about God the Father, I've heard a lot about Jesus, I don't really know much about the Holy Spirit, it's just kind of this like this word that comes up every now and again but I couldn't really articulate who He is, how He functions and so some of you are coming maybe from almost an agnostic place and, and you're willing to learn, and I trust you are. I know much of our church are actually involved in our life groups. And for those of you who don't know, our life groups have been going through a Spirit Equip series, 
where week by week we've been taking the life group deeper and deeper into the work of the Spirit. And so if you're here and you're part of the life groups, please don't say, well, Stephen, we've been doing this for 20 weeks. We're good. I think we're going to cover some things that we haven't covered in life group. But as I constantly say here at Riverside, listen, we're talking about an eternal God with eternal riches for us, which means there is always more of God to know. There is always more of God's love to experience. And even if we take a simple truth that I know with my mind, there is always more of God to move into so that it becomes a lived reality. And so as we all come to this conversation about the Spirit, I'm also so aware that some of us have some thoughts, some doctrines about the Holy Spirit, which we hold very dearly. And maybe we have a conversation about this and we discover that someone else in my life group or someone else in this building has a very different perspective. And so often because so much of our emotions can be caught up with the work of the Holy Spirit, it can become quite a volatile conversation. Unnecessarily so. But here's my invitation to every single one of us. Let's all come with a willingness to learn. Let's all come with the willingness to grow and to, as we've been singing, to surrender more so that we can know God more and that we can grow in the joy of the presence of His Spirit. And so even going into the series, I want to pray for us. I want to trust the very spirits we're going to speak about to already start ministering in our hearts. So join with me in prayer. I'm going to pray for four things. And so God, firstly, I do pray. We know that you are here with us. Your word says you'll never leave us nor forsake us. Your word describes us, your church, as the temple of your Holy Spirit. And so, Lord, when we say we invite you here, it's not because you were not here, now you're here. But we are sitting with a posture of invitation an open posture towards your presence. And there's a mystery with your presence, Lord. And I pray that your spirit will already be so tangibly here, inviting us to more of you. Secondly, Lord, I pray for our hearts. I pray for humble, responsive hearts. And whether we're coming with particular views or whether we're coming with particular fears, would you soften our hearts, Holy Spirit, just with your invitational presence and your love? Thirdly, Lord, I pray for faith. This is not just about knowledge. This is about knowing you, which is so different. And so, Lord, as we hear your word and as your spirit applies it into our hearts, I pray that we believe in faith, we respond in faith, we live a life more with you and more for you in faith. And finally, Lord, I pray for fruit. That we become these vessels which your word describes. Through which the evidence of your presence becomes more and more apparent to us and through us. But the work of you, the activity of God, not the cleverness of a preacher or cold hard truth, but the reality of your presence and the beautiful truths that point towards that, God. 
And so, Lord, for this series to make any difference, we need you. And we humble ourselves and posture ourselves before you and invite you to move. Move our hearts forward into you, Lord, as we trust you so that we can surrender in your name. Amen. Now, the way we're going to do this is it's just a great truth that so many of the important themes, and in fact, I would argue all of the most important themes of Scripture are found on page one of the Bible. So if you have your Bible here, whether it's in paper form or a tablet form, turn to page one, easiest place to find in the Bible. And we're going to be hanging out there together. And we're going to see how the story of the Spirit unfolds starting on page one. But I want to invite you to something that is becoming incredibly enriching to me as I read the Scriptures. And, and maybe I can pass this on to you. And this is kind of the backdrop as to why we're going to go through it this way is to understand the scriptures in the form of a tapestry. And if we stand back and we look at the tapestry, it's, it's usually this well-crafted, beautiful, powerful picture, right? And so if we look at the story of scripture and we stand back, hopefully we are able to see the big story, the main story, the story that goes from beginning to end, the story that finds its focus in Jesus, the story that is still being lived out right now. So that is the picture of the tapestry. But a tapestry is made up of thousands of strands that move along. And in the same way, the big story is made up of these beautiful, rich themes that move from the beginning through the story of Israel, finding great clarity in the person and work of Jesus. And they continue. And these themes, I would argue, they start on page one, go through Jesus and the age of the church, find their beautiful culmination in the final pages of Scripture. And so what is an incredibly rich, enriching experience is to take one of these threads, which I might substitute for the word theme. Today, it's a theme of the Holy Spirit. And to kind of pull it and, and, and see how it goes and see how it gets transformed and see how it moves from here to there, how it grows, how it develops. But what we're also going to be so careful to do, just like if you had to pull that thread out of the tapestry and look at it on its own, yeah, we can follow what's going on with the colors, but now it no longer makes any sense because it only makes sense when it's back in the full picture. And we see how it contributes to the full picture. So we're going to do that with the thread of this tapestry of the story of the kingdom of God, starting on page one, looking at the thread of the Spirit and seeing how it contributes to the big picture of God. And so Genesis 1 verse 1, I'm going to read verse 1 and verse 2. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. The heavens and the earth, sorry. Now the earth... And verse 2 is going to be our main focus today. Now, the earth was formless and empty. Some of your translations say formless and void. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Now, before we tuck into here, I want to give you two disclaimers for today. 
The first disclaimer is more often than usual, we're going to dive into some of the language that is being used here, written in Hebrew. And this isn't to impress, this isn't useless knowledge. I hope what you start to see that there is so much inherent in the actual language being used here. And so we're going to have some Hebrew lessons today. So get out your pen and paper, and I hope that that invigorates you and not bores you. The second thing is we're going to get through kind of halfway through page two today. And as you know, there's thousands of pages to go, and you might go, oh, my word, Stephen, are we ever going to get to the end? So today we're going to move quite slowly, and I promise you we will pick up from next week. All right, so here we have this picture starting in verse 2. Here's a rabbit hole. I'm not going to go down, but we've got this idea of the earth. The rabbit hole is there are all these debates. How did we get from verse 1 to verse 2? And there are all these perspectives as to how we get there. But in verse 2, we get this, this vision. Now the earth was formless and empty. What some of your translations say, formless and void. Here's the first Hebrew lesson today. It's formless and void, formless and empty. Tohu vavohu. I just love how it comes out the mouth. Tohu vavohu. Now here's, here's another quick little Bible lesson. If you want to understand what something means, on one hand, you could take a word like these words, formless and void, and find them elsewhere in Scripture. The problem is sometimes the Hebrew words and the English words don't always match up. And so with the right software and even the right online software, you can take the phrase tohu vavohu and find out how it's used elsewhere in Scripture. And as you put that all together, a picture emerges that hopefully becomes powerfully convincing as to what's being communicated here. Tohu vavohu is used three times in Scripture. Here in Genesis 1 verses 2, it's used in Isaiah and Jeremiah. Now in Isaiah and Jeremiah, the way it's used there is to describe the land, God's land, the holy land, after the Assyrians and the Babylonians have come in and wrecked their devastation. And the prophets looking forward describe this as tohu vavohu, devoid of life, devoid of just, just beauty, Right, and so that is why some of our translations say uh, formless and void, empty of life. One translation says it's a wild wasteland. This whole idea gets affirmed as it says here, now the earth was formless and empty and darkness, darkness, very important, was over the surface of the deep. Now I used to kind of picture, I don't know, the Pacific Ocean, maybe the Mariana Trench just this deep ocean and that is somewhat there but the word here second hebrew lesson for the day is the word to home and to home describes far more than simply a deep place of water rather it's a word that is very common in the ancient near east of the time and it describes the abyss of chaos this deep dark abyss this chaos that is anti-life so these two phrases, tohu vavohu, this wild wasteland, the tohom, this chaos, anti-life, anti-God chaos is here. This tension is building up. And here we start asking the question, so if this is the starting point of verse 2, how do we get to where we are today? And this is where we get introduced to the first part 
the first mention of the Holy Spirit because over the surface of the deep, the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Now here's what I want you to do. In fact, here's what I don't want you to do. I don't want you to go, ah, the Holy Spirit. I know all about the Holy Spirit. You know, Jesus talks about the Spirit. He comes in the baptism of Jesus. It comes in Pentecost. Paul writes about the Holy Spirit. And to take everything we know here and import it into verse 2 of Genesis. Now, at some point, that is very useful. But remember what we're trying to do here. We're trying to grow with the story as it grows. And I almost want you to imagine. Imagine you almost know nothing else about the Spirit. And you're looking at this thread. And you're allowing the story of the Spirit to unfold as it is revealed to us. And allow your understanding of that story to grow and unfold. So what can we learn if we kind of suspend some of our ideas in the New Testament and come back to this verse? Well, here's your third Hebrew lesson for the day. The word for spirit in the Old Testament is the word ruach. Have you ever heard an American try and say that word? They can't because they can't roll their R's and they can't go. So we kind of need to do both. So I apologize to anyone sitting in front of you if you're going to go ruach, but you have to clear your throat. That's how this language works. That's why Israeli people have such clear voices because they're always just clearing the stuff in their throats. Now the word ruach is used here for the word spirits. But in English, it is also translated two different ways. Sorry, two more ways. It is sometimes translated as breath. And it is sometimes translated as wind. Now we can go, oh, Stephen, thank you for that chappy packet information. But there's something actually so powerful about this. Let's think about it. Why is it sometimes translated as spirit and sometimes as breath? Well, if you've ever been in the difficult space or maybe you've seen this on the movies or the TV shows, if someone is lying there, maybe they've been in a car accident and you want to find out if they're still alive, what's the first thing you do? You check the pulse and you listen for breath. Why? Because breath means life. And so even just this connection between the spirits of God and this concept of breath, immediately what's hopefully flooding into our minds is this idea of life. That the Ruach of God, the invisible life of God. But why wind? Yesterday we had a windy day and you look outside and you see the trees moving. Or maybe you've been on a windsurfer or a kite, kite surfer or you've watched these people. What's happening there? Once again, there is this invisible force that we call wind and it appears as if it's giving life to this tree and causing it to move. It's giving life to the wind surfer. It's giving life to the kite surfer. So with these words and phrases, we start to learn that God's ruach is associated with being the source of life and the one that gives life to other things. It animates by virtue of it being the source of life. And that's one word describing who the Spirit of God is to us. Now, remember, the, these people didn't know about climatology, barometric pressure. 
They didn't know about oxygen and carbon dioxide and hemoglobin and how energy is created in our cells. And the reason why I raise that is because we learn these things in school, perhaps. And in our minds, we go, oh, that's science. I've got church stuff here, and I've got science stuff here. And we immediately have a separation between how we try and describe the life that God gives us and the source of life. And as far as this verse is concerned, it is all spiritual. Because the Ruach of God is the source of life and animates us. And we're going to see that as we go forward. But already in one word, in one verse, we're introduced to this idea of God's presence being associated with life. It's this energizing, animating life. And if I, if I use words like energy or force, I'm not meaning it in a new age way because we got there first. Right, this is the personal presence of God. It's not a kind of a non-personal force, but there's this energizing, animating life force hovering over this mysterious primordial state of chaos and lifelessness and forces that are hostile to life and the presence of God. When it speaks about the Spirit hovering over the state, forget what the actual word is, but it's also a beautiful word. It's the word used to describe an eagle that's hovering in the skies. And what is an eagle doing when it's hovering in the skies? Is it just chilling? No. It's looking for that, that mouse or that rabbit that's going to run out. In other words, it's poised for action. Can you feel the drama of the verse? Tohu vavohu, this wild wasteland, devoid of life. There's the tohom that is this anti-life, anti-God chaos. The Spirit of God is there, the source of life, the one that can give life, the one that is life potential. The presence of God is there and He's hovering. He is waiting to act. So what happens next? Well, that's when we get to verse 3. And God said, we could almost stop there, but let's read the whole verse. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And so what's the connection? We've got this helpless, hopeless state. The Spirit of God is there, the source of life, and He's ready to move. And then when He moves, it is described as, as and God said, I want every single one of you to take your hand and put it in front of your face. If you had garlic last night, just pretend to do this. But just say a word outside, out loud. Just say your name out loud. Steve, can you feel your breath on your hand? Some of you are just looking around for a breath mint right now. That's okay. Psalm 33 verses 6 says, <laughs> listen to this connection. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. Classic Hebrew, Hebrew parallelism, saying two things the same way. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. The story host by the breath of his mouth. Now in English, we lose the connection. But in Hebrew, it's right there. It is by the Ruach of God that there is this creation of life coming from the source of life 
and he starts to animate this creation and give life and beauty to this place called Tohu Vavohu and to home. And as a result of God's creative activity, life-giving activity, by His Word, in other words, by the activity and creative power of His Spirit, we get to this whole beautiful creation which unfolds in the following verses of this chapter. And we land up with galaxies and, and planets and we land up with, with uh, quarks and neutrons and subatomic particles and we land up with giraffes and bears and hochas and our cute little puppies and of course our own kids and our own selves as a result of the Spirit's creative life-giving activity. Now, just notice we speak about the Holy Spirit. The first thing so many of us want to speak about are, no, let's talk about tongues. Let's talk about healing. Let's talk about prophecy. Let's talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to get to some of those things. But the first thing that God wants you to know about His spiritual presence are these things. And there's a priority to be given to these ideas, how we think about the presence of God, how we think about His spiritual presence, how we think about His very identity and how He functions and what He desires for us. And if we could summarize what we've learned so far in one verse about God's Spirit, or well, one and a half verses, He's this invisible source of life. It's God's creative energy. And I don't just mean the ability to write books and write poems, but create life. He brings order out of chaos and light and life out of darkness. And even if we're to stop here, we have learned so much about the essence and the truth of who God is. Now, if we had to suspend what I asked you to do earlier and just allow our minds to go forward to some of the stories we know about in the Old Testament and the New Testament about God's Spirit, isn't it always this? Isn't it always a transfer and a creation of God's life to us? Isn't it always God's presence bringing order out of chaos, life out of death? light out of darkness it is always going to come down to these basic concepts given to us already here in page one this is who our god is this is who he is in his spiritual presence this is what god does and so before we start debating some of the things about church and christianity and some of the issues related to the holy Spirit. These should become primary ways for us to think about God because it's the first thing He wants us to know about Him. One of the things that I think is helpful here as well is we've got this life-giving, animating, creative source of life, the one who brings order out of chaos and life and light out of darkness and death. And he's not limited by his circumstances. And as we go forward through, if think about Christ on the cross, think about our own darkness. And in South Africa, we're dealing with a lot of darkness. Thinking about our own chaos. God is able and more powerful to overcome those. 
to breathe life into these circumstances, to bring order out of our chaos. And by order, I don't mean this regimental military order, life order, life as God intended it. God is able to create new things. He is the God of the resurrection, the new creation. He is not limited by the forces of this world that oppose Him. He's not even limited by death. This is who God is. This is who His Spirit is. One more thought about this. When it comes to the opening of verse 2, the wild wastelands, the deep waters of chaos that are anti-life and anti-God, where is God? Somewhere up there? Indifferent, uncaring? No, God's presence is there. He is intimately there. And He is hovering like an eagle waiting to pounce into action. And I know so often that when we go through times of chaos and lifelessness and hardship and struggle, so often we can conceptualize that God has left us. Whereas even here, the second verse of our Bible it tells us that in the middle of death and darkness and chaos and lifelessness, the presence of God is there, ready to move into action. Wow. I hope you're feeling it. I hope it's starting to wave over you. Now, absolutely, what we're going to do over these coming weeks, we're going to continue and follow this thread and see where it goes. And we're going to go through some of the stories in the Old Testament and the stories of Jesus and the stories of the church and see where it's going and see how it contributes to this tapestry, the big picture. But while we started here in page one, we're going to go halfway through the second page and take one more step today. And we're going to look at Genesis chapter 2, the next time the Spirit of God is spoken about, now that we know how this word is used. And what happens in chapter 2 of Genesis? Have you ever seen in those movies or TV shows or sometimes even documentaries, you get a zoomed out view of planet Earth. And then it starts to slowly zoom in. And then you quickly see, okay, we're going to Europe, for example. And then it continues zooming in, and then it goes into, oh, okay, I see we're going to Italy. Ah, I see we're going to Rome, and I just choose Rome because I don't know much about the rest of Italy. And we go, okay, we're not just Rome, we're going to this particular house. And as it continues to, zo zo uh, to zoom in, we see a particular person starting all the way out here. And that's the difference between Genesis 1 and 2. Genesis 1 is getting us to look into the heavens and see God's work there. And then it starts to zone in to what is known as the ancient Near East, maybe what we call the Middle East. And then it zones in to this place called Eden. And then it zooms in to what is called, we often call it the Garden of Eden. It's actually, if you read Genesis 2, it's the Garden in Eden, in the east of Eden. And then we zone in even further and we see an activity of God in verse 7. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed. Ding, 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 ding. Hello. And breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Wow. 
and the man became a living being. There's a transfer of life from the source of life to this ground. Now, I forget where we are in terms of a Hebrew lesson. She has a couple more. The word here for man is the word Adam. It's not like this random name, like my name is Stephen and it could be anything. The word for man or humanity or mankind is literally in Hebrew, the word Adam. And he is taken out of the ground, out of the Adamah. Now Hebrew is always doing this. Hebrew is always finding words that sound the same, look the same. If you look at how it's created, and it's always communicating something like that. So the Adam comes out of the Adamah. And then God comes and breathes his life into Adam. And he becomes a last word of the day, a nephesh. Some of your translations say he becomes a soul. This translation says he becomes a living being. As one theologian says, what is mankind? Dust plus divine breath. Because his breath is the Ruach of God. It's the source of life that gives life and animates life. We see this in Job 34. Job 34, by the way, is a, another beautiful passage that speaks about the creation. And we can parallel Job 34, Genesis 1 and 2, and just learn so much. But I'm just going to zone in on verses 14 to 15. If it were his intention and he withdrew his spirit and breath, all humanity would perish together and mankind would return to the dust. Because what is mankind? Dust plus divine breath. And if God withdraws his ruach, we return to the dust. So what are we learning here about who the spirit is and who we are in relation to the spirit? On one hand, we are learning that God wants for us to be in some way an autonomous being. A being that has a sense of freedom. A being that God wants us to live and breathe and have our being. He wants us to enjoy Him, enjoy His creation. He wants us to flourish. He wants us to nurture life and become a source of life to others. And... Because our very being is dependent on His Ruach, we are not to become so independent from Him, we lose our connection to Him. That's Genesis 3, by the way. The goal is for us to have a dependent relationship on Him. On Him as the source of life. We are to nurture that relationship. Remain connected to the source of life and the more we as human beings are connected to the ruach of god the spirits of god the source of life the more we are going to be animated by him and reflect him in terms of his life-giving potential his creative ability and our ability to fulfill the purposes for which we've been made I'm like, I can't contain the excitements I'm feeling right now. This is what God wants us to know about Him, His spiritual presence. These are the first things God wants us to know about Him and His spiritual presence. And we're going to learn how things go wrong. But I want to end off with one final thought, and that is this. 
in the leadership world and whether you're leading a church, an organization, a family, a team, and you start something new, there's a phrase that says, start with the end in mind. In other words, have a very clear idea of what, in inverted commas, success looks like. Have a very clear idea of where you're heading. So instead of trying four billion things, you are going to be limited by where you're going. And so the decisions you make are going to be directed by where you're going. Now, as I mentioned earlier, this thread of the Holy Spirit, and we're going to see in a second, not only starts here and starts with these lessons that we've been learning, but it culminates in exactly the same way. And so if we're going to start with the end in mind, learning these lessons about God's life-giving spiritual presence and our relation to Him, how would that change how we thought about ourselves as Christians? Well, let me take one dynamic of what it means to be a Christian. We can apply this to every dynamic. What about this concept? Preaching to the choir this morning. Go to church. There's this activity that I'm being called to do. But at the end of the day, each of us has an end in mind. In other words, why? Where's all this going? And for some of us, the end in mind is not very compelling. Go to church. Why? Because you must. Now listen, when I was a kid, and if the answer was because you must, that gave me every reason not to do that thing. Right? Can you see why, if, for so, if the reason we have, the end that we have in mind is go to church because you must. My word, there are 40 million better things to do on a Sunday morning. If that's how we think about it. Maybe some of us, take it one step further and we start heading towards a little bit more of a half truth go to church why all because it's going to help you be a good person what's going to happen if that is the end we have in mind i go to church why so i can become a good person what's going to happen when after five years of going to church there are still issues in my life what's going to happen when i encounter people that are maybe not acting on their best day in church? What's gonna happen when I meet people from other religions who are just wonderful people? What's gonna happen when I encounter atheists who are wonderful, caring, loving, moral people? If the reason for this is go to church so you can become a nice person, can you see how it's just not enough? But what if the starting point where we are today carried through to the end point gives us the ultimate reason? That becomes the end that we have in mind. The fact that God himself is the source of life. He is the one who brings life and light out of death and darkness. He is the one who brings order out of chaos. And by definition, God wants to give His life to me so I can fulfill my creative purposes and become a source of life and life-giving creativity. And if I understand this rightly, I need to remain connected to the source of life. Then I start moving backwards from there. Well, what is the best way to do that? 
Well, there are many things that we do, which we call spiritual practices or spiritual disciplines, but we're just zoning in on this idea of going to church. What if one of the better things that I can do if I want to remain connected to the source of life is to be in a place where there is more of a connection, where there are other people who are also connected to Him in the same way. And what about those times where I'm struggling to connect, but I need some love, I need some support, I need some healing so that I can go and remain in Him even more. But I'm also, I'm coming in, I'm not coming in perfect like Jesus. I'm coming in as someone who needs to learn and grow about what it means to remain connected to the source of life so that I can live out that source of life. And so we need others who have been further along the journey who can encourage me along the way and inspire me and teach me. That's called the church. Can you see how different it is? If we're going to start with the end in mind, learning what we've learned today changes everything. This is what God is wanting to restore in us. Just by the way, last little idea, and then we're going to pray. Revelation 21 verses 1 opens up with these words, speaking about where this whole story is going. And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, and we're connecting the first heavens and the first earth with the new heavens and the new earth in our minds. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, so we're looking at a renewed, restored creation. And then there's this weird detail. And there was no longer any sea. Have you ever wondered what's going on with that? Those of you who know me, I mean, one of my favorite things in the world is fishing. Are you telling me that heaven is a place with no fishing? No prawns, no lobsters, no calamari? What's going on here? This has nothing to do with H2O. Remember Genesis 1 verses 2, and the Spirit of the Lord is over the surface of the Tahom, the chaos that is anti-life, anti-order, anti-God. And it's harking back to that. So when it says there's no longer any sea, it's got nothing to do with the ocean. It's got everything to do with all the forces of evil that work against life and work against the kingdom and the presence of God are not only defeated because they are in the cross, but they're gone. They're gone. Our eternal future is just life, life, and more life. That's where we're going. That's what this is about. But Stephen, what do I do now? I think sometimes it's just for our hearts to sit back and go, wow. So I'll tell you what I'm going to do and what I'm going to invite you all to do with me, and that's simply to pray as we engage this presence of God to pray with me. And I want to pray for these things that we've learned here. So Lord, we come before you. We understand that your presence, your life-giving, animating, energizing power and presence, your creative life-giving presence is here and available to us. And Lord, we know there is no shortage of chaos. There is no shortage of 
activities in this world and even powers in this world that are anti-life, that are better defined by death and darkness. And so, Lord, we stand here today going, we need the Ruach of God. We need you. God, I pray for your creative, life-giving power right now. For those of us sitting here this morning that feel so surrounded by death and darkness and the powers that rob us of life, you're not constrained and restricted by that, Jesus. The very definition of your presence is that you give life and you can create new things. And so, Lord, would you literally breathe life into our situations, into our souls and our spirits, into our inner man, so that more of Christ would dwell in our hearts through faith, because you are the God of the new creation. And so as Sean reminded us this morning, we put on that, we choose that, we invite that, we embrace that, and we take off the old self, which is a self of decay and destruction. So Lord, would you create life in our inner being, in our bodies, in our hearts, and our minds, in our circumstances. Lord, some of us, our circumstances at present can be best described as chaos. And Lord, we recognize that the battle is not against flesh and blood, but principalities and powers. And we know that they are real entities defined by death and chaos. And they are present in our land. They are present in our world. And so Holy Spirit, as we choose you and submit to you, would you breathe order into our chaos? Would you create divine life and order in the midst of chaos? Would you allow us as these beings into which you have breathed your presence to be locations on planet earth where God's life and order moves and that even through us we will be instruments in submission to you animated and breathed upon and through you and your presence we would not be instruments of chaos but instruments of life and order and finally Lord by your spirit you breathe you speak light we're in a dark world. We are blind. We do not see as you see. And so Holy Spirit, right now, would the lights literally go on for some of us? Would we see differently? Would we see our circumstances, our souls? Would we see you differently as you see it? As Paul prays, enlighten the eyes of our hearts. Breathe lights into our lives and into our situations, God. We need you to do this. And God, we surrender to the one 
who can do this. The source of life and light and life-giving order. God, we love you. We trust you. I just want to invite us to remain in the space for just another space. Because I've got no doubt the Spirit is just massaging His life into our hearts. And I don't want to move on too quickly. Continue doing your work. Breath of God. Continue breathing upon us. Ignites life within us. Though outwardly we are wasting away, inwardly we're being renewed day by day. The work of life, your spirit being transferred to us and through us. We receive with open hands and open hearts. Your word says that you came so that we may have life and life to the full. That's what this is about. Amen.